This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I am Josh Williams and I'm joined after a week off by Mo Stewart. Mo, how are you feeling, mate? Um, within myself, um, I'm okay physically. I've had some troubles, but hey, it's a day when Liverpool signed a footballer, so I'm doing very well. Yeah, well, th- that news broke about an hour before we got on this podcast to start recording. Um, so we will definitely speak about that. We did have a week away last week. Um, just one of them weeks where I had one or two days off and it didn't really work and stuff, but it was the end of the season anyway, so I think our listeners will maybe allow us one week off, hopefully. Um, but we, have, we feel like I've missed a fair bit, like Liverpool have been linked with uh, with a few players since we've been away, we haven't talked about them, so this is very much a transfers episode, really. Um, we were going to do the team of the season, weren't we, but it feels like last season was about four months away now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, it's over. <laughs> yeah, just forget about that season, mate. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll start with the obvious news. Alexis McAllister is a new Liverpool player, first signing of the summer. Initial thoughts? Um, all positive. Uh, I like it in a very a multitude of reasons and ways. I like the way that we seem to have done it so soon, uh, with very little fuss and very little kind of back and forth or even any kind of disagreement. Seems like something that we've had in place for a while. Obviously, we're probably going to talk about the fee as well and how it's a lot less than we were expecting and how that gives us a little bit more leeway in other positions. But just concentrating on what he is as a footballer and what he brings to this team. I think he's one of those guys who makes other players play better. He's very appreciative and intelligent of what every situation needs and how he can adapt his skills to it. And I think that's something that we've lacked this season. There's been times when we've spoken in shows about complementary football and how we seem to be kind of playing at cross purposes. Now, some of that was due to tactical confusion, trying to overlap two many different styles at once. But sometimes you just need someone to be able to read the game that's in front of them and play it accordingly. And he very much feels like one of those guys. Yeah, I, I think it's it's genuinely really, really close to being what what is a perfect transfer for me. I, I, I can't see a single downside attached to it. I have zero concerns that he is a potential failure or a worry or anything like that. I think he's as close to a guaranteed hit as it gets. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the £35 million price tag comes into, into that. Um, I think he's more than he more than justifies that risk can play all different roles in the midfield, really solid availability. Um, 24 years old, which is perfect, speaks the language brilliantly despite being um, being foreign and, and initially not being able to speak the language when he first got to Brighton. Um, he's just kind of made that leap in terms of establishing himself as, as one of the best players in the league and, and winning the World Cup and establishing himself as a regular for Argentina things like that so and in terms of like one of the main things i like about it is and we'll i'm sure we'll touch on this later in the show when we touch on um the likes of churam and the likes of Kone. um but one thing i really like about McAllister is in terms of how liverpool might set up next season 
with McAllister, it really feels like it doesn't matter. It, it feels like no matter how Liverpool and how Klopp chooses to shape his midfield in terms of a formation on the pitch or whatever, McAllister is just not going to be a problem, man. He's, he's no. almost not going to be a victim of any tactical system, really. He can play as a double six. If Liverpool play in a 4-3-3, he can play as the left-sided on the three, in my opinion. If Liverpool play this 3-2-5 that we've been using since April, he can play as the t- in the 10 roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's a perfect tactical fit, as well as just being a really sensible recruitment sign. Um, but the, the, the tactical fit, I think, is specifically ideal because, as I said, he's just he's, he's not going to be a problem in any way. No, and he gives us, again, a lot of the things that we've been missing. Uh, if you think about his ability to win duels, his ability to win the ball higher up the field, I mean, we talk about him being able to play as a double six and have defensive qualities. He does a lot of his defensive qualities quite high up. So in terms of tackles in the final third, uh, winning the ball back in the final third, he's one of the best up there. And that is something that we've lacked. And I think that's another part of the key why our midfield's been so clunky and why counterattacks have been such a problem because the quickest way to stop someone counterattacking on you is to win the ball back. And we used to be very good at that. And that's something that it kind of came out of our game partly through the way we were playing. But I think it's also come out of our game partly due to the lack of our intensity. So it pleases me to see we've got someone who's good at that back in the team. But I, I agree with you in terms of <clears throat> he feels like one of those players who will always play and it will be it won't be like we're making the game plan around him. It's wherever whatever game plan we've got, there's a spot for him wherever it goes. And he reminds me, and I don't want to say this to put pressure on him, but just in terms of the nature of how he goes about his play and the positions and the roles he fills, it's almost like part genie part Gundogan. He can do, they can fulfill the roles that they've, that Genie filled for us and Gundogan fills for City. In yeah, terms yeah. Not only just being the facilitator in the link, but knowing the time to be able to come in and provide a goal threat from the edge of the box and knowing the time to sit back and protect your back four and build out from the back from that way. He's just, yeah, the idea of getting him into pre-season from the jump and having everyone to be able to work with him. So when we start the season, everyone's up to speed with him. He's up to speed with everyone. It's a very exciting prospect. Yeah, I, I like I like to think on, on this podcast, we, we moved quite early on McAllister. Um, I think around the time of the World Cup, we obviously needed to create Liverpool content, uh, despite, <laughs> despite Liverpool not playing for a month. So I think one of the shows that I remember doing was, a, was like a midfield show as in uh, who can Liverpool target and stuff and we might have even done like a wild cards midfielders show as well um and I, I I can't remember which show I used to pick him but I definitely remember naming him and one of the reasons I included his name was because of how surprised I was by his defensive numbers at the time um at the time of the World Cup he ranked second in the Premier League for recoveries behind only Declan Rice um now, when you think for a bit of perspective on that, a recovery is, say you drop the ball out the sky and it lands somewhere on the pitch. If you go and get that ball, that's a recovery. Um, and he was second for that in the Premier League when, it's, when it comes to the World Cup. And in terms of tackles and interceptions, 
I'm pretty sure he was either top three or top five in the league. And I remember seeing that and thinking, do you know what? I didn't know McAllister was one of those players. I thought he was kind of like a technician, like a creator. Yeah. Casado, I thought, was that player for Brighton, the ball winner. I thought McAllister was kind of the a bit of a conductor, a bit of a controller, if you like, who could also morph into this arriving late penalty box, Gundogan type figure. Um, but when I seen his defensive numbers, I was really encouraged. Since then, his defensive numbers have dropped off a bit. But his position has changed a little bit as well. He, he started to uh, be used as a number 10. Obviously, that's he's naturally going to recover the ball less and, and, and things like that and, and intercept the ball a bit less when he's playing as a number 10, a bit higher up the pitch. But I've read Klopp's comments on him. And one of the things Klopp said in his, in his, in his blurb about him was that he is an all-rounder. And that, that's probably the best way to describe him. He looks like a 10. He looks like a really luxury passenger almost because he's creative technical quite slight but make no mistake he can do everything this lad yeah and i think there will be a lot of talk about his lack of physicality particularly his lack of speed but i think those ball recovery numbers really show you the fact that how he's able to counteract that because if you think about the example you gave of a ball recovery of a, of a second ball a ball coming out of anywhere people who are able to recover them time and time again Yes, it requires the fitness to be in the right position. It requires the awareness and the game intelligence to know and to predict where balls are going to fall time and time again. And that's what he has in abundance. And I think that's what's going to be able to really open up our game tactically because he not only has that intelligence, but he has the ability to recognise and then utilise it in a split second. And once all the rest, let's say, once the rest of our guys get in his wavelength, it's going to be scary. Yeah, I mean, assessing his numbers, because <clears throat> obviously we always try to touch on on the numbers attached to a player's game. It's it's quite tricky with McAllister, and the reason for that is because he he has spent half the season as a six next to Casado, and half the season as a ten, playing in the final there where Alana was playing before he got injured. So, if you look at McAllister's numbers, it's how you how you interpret what he is is essentially the tricky part um <clears throat> for example he ranks in the top one percent of midfielders this is midfielders mm. for shots um with about 2.5 per 90 which is a lot for a center mid but then if those numbers are, are applied to attacking mids he's in the top 27 <laughs> percent which is nothing special so no. it, it's difficult to provide like a a data background on on McAllister like we do usually with with Liverpool signs, and that's simply because he's so versatile, really. But I mean, that's a good thing, though, right? That's the thing, isn't it? It's um, and also I think one of the things that's probably going to come into it over the course of this show and over the course of how we assess all new players coming in is that we the the, the stats kind of guide us onto what they have done so far. But that doesn't necessarily give us the lead as to what Klopp's idea is before the player. Because there are plenty of times when Klopp's kind of brought something out of someone that we didn't necessarily see coming. And then suddenly that's become their most um, uh, useful characteristic. So it's all exciting to know how we're going to put the pieces together. But as more pieces come in, it's almost like the more of the picture you begin to see. 
Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting question for me, actually, in, just in terms of what Klopp's plan is, because I, I I would get the impression, I would guess that he's looking at him almost like uh, another Wijnaldum in the sense that rather than thinking this is the plan for this player, he's looking at McAllister and just thinking like he's a blank slate, he he can become whatever I need him to be. Um, I think he's probably a left-sided eight for Liverpool, whether that's in the four-three-three or in this new. 325, I think he's the left side of these. The only concern I have with that, the one concern I have attached to that is Curtis Jones has been brilliant there lately. And it would mean first game of the season if they're both fit. Um, how do you play both? It, it would be my concern because I think they both really favour that left side. Probably Jones more so. Maybe McAllister could play the right. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I think again, if you're playing four three three, then yeah, I think McAllister can play on the right. It's obviously not his natural position, but if you think about the comparative, in a world where there are no more signings, which obviously would be quite worrying, um, (laughs) McAllister will probably still be the best choice of everyone else to play on the, the right side. So, I think from that perspective. I still think Curtis will get a lot of games. I think there's a world where the two of them play together, maybe when we're playing the three-box-three formation. I think that's probably a lot more likely. But I also think it's one of those situations where Klopp is very much saying to himself, I want to have at least two guys who can do every job. So, for example, with someone like Kefren Turan, if you're playing a 4-3-3, you'd probably say he would want to be on the left side of that as well. But again, once you get him into the building, once you start to adapt some of his qualities, it might be that he is more suited to playing somewhere else in certain situations or certain scenarios. So there's going to be a little bit of two people competing, but then there's going to be a little bit of sometimes they're on the same side, if you see what I mean. So, but again, it it all depends upon who we get and whether or not there are players who are maybe a 1A and a 1B, or if we get one, then we need a C rather than the B, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it feels like we're, we are moving lots of different pieces at the minute. It feels like we're spinning plates. Um, I think it's difficult to determine exactly what Liverpool are going to do because I don't think Liverpool themselves overly know what they're going to do yet. I, know, I think they probably know what they want to do. But a lot of it just depends on who they can get, who is willing to join, which clubs are willing to sell. Like for example, Ryan Gravenberg, I think would, I think we would get him in if we could. But I don't even know if Bayern know what they want to do yet with, with that. Um, and I think obviously the target Declan Rice. I assume if they can get Declan Rice, they would probably sell Gravenberg. So that it's 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 it is spinning a lot of plates, but. That's why just getting McAllister done and dusted so early for such a good price when he is not the kind of player who is reliant on, right, you need to play like this for me to do well. He can just thrive whatever the plan ends up being, if you know what I mean. That's the beauty of him. Um, But unless you've got anything to add on McAllister, who's probably going to be a guaranteed hit as far as I'm concerned, I think he'll be absolutely fine. Um, the one thing I want to add about him is that I am not on board with um, letting AIs come up with chance. <laughs> Basically, I mean, okay, I'll say this because I said this in my group chat and everyone else said that I'm the weirdo, right? 
Am I the only one who's annoyed that they made up a song to Ecuador when he's from Argentina? <laughs> That's a great point, to be fair, yeah. I have heard the song, though. It's impressive that a robot has come up with that. But is it, though? I mean, <laughs> this is it, like, again, I feel like Chance is something Liverpool fans in particular have always been priding ourselves on being good at, being original. And if AI can come up with something that sounds a bit like us, maybe we're not as original as we think we are. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see who AI would recommend we sign next to <laughs> Um And what AI thinks of Manu Koenig, for example. We'll move on to him next. So, nothing particularly concrete in the media yet, really, but lots of stuff coming from Germany to suggest that Liverpool are speaking to his representatives or whatever you want to call it. Um, lots of hype around this lad as well on, on Twitter. A lot of fans seem to want him. Um, not sure how many of them have actually watched him play, but a lot of them seem to want him. What are your thoughts, Mo? Um, to be honest, I have watched him play a lot and I do I do think he, I would like him to come and sign. It's interesting because unlike what we were saying in McAllister, there are definitely caveats. There are definitely things you can point out and say, mm, maybe not, maybe not. But I think the thing I like about him the most aside from his general energy, is that he is extremely coachable. He's taken on um, extra parts of his game and he's been able to adapt over time. And I think that you look at the raw materials he has and you look at the potential job that we need to do, if he can bring those raw materials from day one, then he already improves the team. If he can then add all of the other parts the higher passing percentage in particular. I think the turnovers, those are the two things I think at present holding him back in terms of looking like an elite footballer. I think if he can get those two things out of his game, then he can suddenly advance things forward. I think, yeah, I understand that there are other players in playing that position who we may have targeted previously, we spoke previously about Ugarte and how he would be more natural uh, defensive style midfielder. And that's the other thing. Kone can play as a box-to-box -box and he has played that a lot. I think if you were in this Liverpool team looking at the makeup of everyone else we're looking at, I think he would probably be looking to be doing more of the defensive side job. So it's an interesting one. Like I say, I think there'll be a lot more debate than there would be for any of the others. But I, I've watched this kid enough. I've watched him for two seasons now at Gladbach. And I just, I, I can see why Klopp watches him and thinks, I can get this kid into a start. Yeah, it is a, a really interesting link. Um, I have specific thoughts on this one. So I think as a player, I have no issues with him. I think he's a good player. I think he's got a, a high ceiling. I think he's suited to Liverpool in general and what we tend to want from midfielders and things like that. Um, but I would have been a lot keener on getting him in about three months ago. I've, one thing I've reinforced all season is Liverpool need to get the need need to get midfielders who lean towards the defensive side of the game because Liverpool are getting caught open all the time. And uh, people who listen to the show every week will have heard me ramble on about that every week probably. Kone is perfect for that because uh, he can play very press resistant, good on the dribble, but he puts a foot in as well and he can cover ground 
and he's good at harrying players, natural pressure and all that stuff. Um, but since Liverpool have moved away from the 4-3-3 with the ball and moved towards a 4-2, sorry, a, a 3-2-5, I would just be curious, where, do you, where is he playing? Where is he going to play? Because yeah. the he's two playing eight... next to Trent. You're playing next to Trent. And you say well, to he... him that you can... Oh. When when Trent's in space, you you find him with the ball. That's always your first pass. From there, if there is space for you to draw into, then you have an amount you can go into. The problem with it, or the thing that he's going to need to develop, is the discipline to know when he can bring the ball into advanced areas and when he has to stay in his position to protect against the counter attack. Because I think we're going to need some. We're going to need lots of carriers. I think one thing that I've noticed about all three of the guys we're going to talk about in this show in particular, and a lot of the guys who we've been linked with in midfield, they're all good at carrying the ball, progressing the ball through dribble, if not necessarily through passing. And I think when we're playing against teams that are in a low block, that is the key to drawing them out, to making them do something different. So even if you're asking him to do that from a deeper position, I think having that instinct will help him in that position. But again, I feel like this could be one of the things where it's like, he would need to sharpen up, as I mentioned, on the turnovers in particular. But I think he, I think he can play that role. I do. See, the the thing with that though is, for me, you can rule out the two eights. I don't think he can play as an eight in this system. I think he can play on as an as an eight in Liverpool's previous system, the four three three. If he was to play on the left side of the three, in Liverpool's previous system, fine. In this system, doing what Jones is doing, for example, mm-hmm. I can't see Manu Kone doing that. So, for me, I agree with you in the sense that there there is only one place in in this system that we're using currently that he could play, and that is where Fabinho is, um, which would then mean Fabinho comes out the team. You also have Bessetic wanting to get minutes. You potentially have Henderson wanting to get minutes if we sign a few of these number eights. You have Thiago wanting to get minutes. These are all kind of wanting that role, really. And on top of that, you play him next to Trent with the ball, but don't forget defensively. When our press is initially beaten, we then proceed into a four-three-three, which would mean Kone would be a lone six, something that he's not accustomed to doing, and something that he is a. For for me, he's a bit of a a bit of a ball chaser in the sense that not 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 in a bad way, but just as in. He, he wants to go and get the ball like a Ugarte, yeah. like a Kante. Not so much to that level, but when I think of a lone six, I think of a holding presence, a, a Busquets, a Fabinho, a Rodri, mm. someone who someone who stays and reads, not someone who hunts. If you know what I mean. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Well, I think again, I, I think this is something partly due to the fact of what his role was in the Gladbach side. So because he hasn't played a lot of lone six doesn't necessarily mean to think that he can't do it. I do think you're right in terms of he wants to get about and cover the ball and be proactive. But I do also think that some the Liverpool six is going to need to do that. I mean, to be honest, that when Fabinho was at his best, that's what he was doing. And when he's been at his worst this last season, it's one of the more noticeable things that he hasn't been doing, which is stepping forward and being proactive. I 
I am putting a lot of faith in the fact that he will be able to learn the discipline to play that role, granted. But I do think that it's something that we're going to need to look at because, again, looking at some of the struggles we had last season, part of the problem was that Fabinho was passing wasn't as crisp and it was kind of slowing things down. And it was the same when you had him and Henson in the team. It was the same problem coming from both. So I think having someone who's going to be, as you say, press resistant, but also be able to recycle possession quite quickly and quite um, perpetually, I think it's going to give him something else in that position. Like I say, I realise that I'm doing a lot of kind of, okay, hopefully he will be able to do X, Y, and Z, but I can see the plan. And like I say, I've watched this kid a lot. And I do think that, He's the kind of talent that could blossom in this level. Yeah, I, I don't want to necessarily come across as, as a negative. I don't want to necessarily play him down like that because, as I said, I do think he's a good player. And I think if Liverpool were linked with this lad three months ago or whatever it was, four months ago, I'd have been like, yeah, fine. That's, that's, that's along the lines of the profile I was kind of thinking, to be honest. It's just since we've made this change, I'm just a little bit like, Right, what's the plan here? And the, the reason I'm so bothered about this, by the way, is last summer, Liverpool signed Darwin Nunes and Fabio Carvalho. Right, two good players, two good players who just had good seasons mm. and have lots of potential still attached to their games. Right, but Nunes comes in, doesn't fit the system. And all season he's been used as a square peg in a round hole for me. He's been used on the flanks and he's been used like he's Bobby Firmino when he's not. And Fabio Carvalho arrives as a number 10 for Fulham. And Klopp plays him as a 8 and as a wide forward. And on the back of those kind of changes in environment for them, neither of them have prospered so far at Anfield. I'm not saying they're never going to or whatever, but no. Carvalho is now available on loan. And so far with Nunes... We have praised the positive elements of his game, and I do think he's he, he's capable of exploding in England. But I just mean purely in a tactical sense, he's provided a bit of a puzzle for Klopp. And this is why any player Liverpool are getting linked with this summer, any midfielder or whatever, rather than just looking at this player's good, I'm I'm really thinking like, where's the fit now? Where where is he going to play? But, but but the thing about that, and the really crucial part of analysing that fit is knowing how much we're going to be playing this box midfield and how much we're not. Because yeah. I really don't think we're going to be playing it every game. I think it doesn't suit us to play every game. So I think we're going to need to be able to say, OK, he can do a job in this one. Can he do a job in the other one? And there might be times where our answer is no and Klopp's answer is yeah. I mean, this wouldn't be the first time it's been that way in anything. Um the other thing you mentioned I wanted to pick up on earlier on, you're talking about how uh, competition for places and if we are going to be playing this box, the position next to Trent, there's going to be maybe three or four guys who all want to fill that. Well, this goes back to the thing that always happens at this time of summer. It's that we look at our options and say, wow, we've got loads of players who can play there, loads of players who can play there. It's going to be loads of players sitting around on the bench or not happy about playing. And then we get to the season and what happens? Yeah. Like we have to finally, finally uh, uh, plan as if they're going to be out, not as if they're going to be in. 
and I say this with no kind of joy about it. Yes, obviously, Oxley Chamberlain and Cater aren't going to be at the club anymore. So you'd like to think that that would mean you could be a bit more optimistic in terms of the, the um, reliability. But Thiago, I think Henderson as well. Uh, if you were being unkind, you would add Jones in as well. But I think the nature and the randomness of his injuries, I think, kind of takes him out of the kind of proneness. But with Jones, we don't know whether or not he's finally sold the shin splints thing that he's been having to manage all season. So there are all of these things you have to bring into when you say, I want to be able to have this many players. And also, we are still going to be in Europe. So we are still going to be playing a decent amount of games at our best. We're hopefully going to be breaking 50 games for the whole season across the four competitions. So there's going to be lots of opportunities for people to play. And if we are going to be introducing this many new players at a time, which we are, the one thing you need to be able to do is if they're not working, take them out. Because that was part of the problem with some of the other players when it's not really working for them, but there's no one else who can really do that role. So on you go, lad. And again, yeah, you're, you're, you're dead on with the newness. I think Carvalho, to be honest, I think a lot of us were saying, where does he fit before he signed? Yeah. So, uh, with with Nunes, it was almost like, okay, well, if we're going to do things differently, then he's the guy. And as it turns out, doing things differently for many, many reasons didn't quite work. So, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you that we need to assess players in terms of what they're going to do rather than just what they have done previously. But I do think that we also need a little bit more information from Jurgen before we can be certain one way or another. Yeah, I think we can say it mainly with the, the the congested number six role is probably mostly Besetich. I I would I just don't want to block that path. That would be my concern with it because Kone is twenty two. So if Liverpool do sign him, he's going to be around for a fair bit. Um, and that looked initially like the plan was keep going with Fabinho, who's twenty nine, I think still. Yeah. And then when he kind of phases out, you bring through Besetich, who maybe will be. 19, 20 or something like that um, and he's looking ahead of his years and stuff so if Liverpool went and signed Kone I'd, I'd be curious to see what we were doing but as you say if we use the 4-3-3 sometimes because obviously Trent can't play as an inverted fullback three day, every three days for a full season so we will probably use that system sometimes in that system for me Kone can probably play as a left-sided eight or possibly at a push as the, as the lone six but my I'm still um, undecided as to whether I can see him as a lone six or not. He can yeah. also play as, as a double six, which he's done all season for Gladbach. McAllister can do that too. Yeah. And, and I reckon, so, yeah, but you, you could have one of those two alongside by Setic as a double six. And I think that works quite well in a lot of games. I do think as well, the nature of being Europa League compared to Champions League, we might see a little bit more experimentation than maybe previously with some of the group games in particular. So I think it's exciting. I think my my personal feeling always is, as good as we were at having a one system and one team, and that worked really, really well for a long time, I do think genuinely when you are trying to build a team, the more ways you can win, the more ways you can set up, the better because it just makes you harder to game plans against. 
And I think one thing we're going to have to do over the course of this preseason, we're going to have to come up with a plan for when opposition put two men on Trent Alexander-Arnold. Because I'm telling you right here and right now that it's definitely <laughs> going to happen next season. There's going to be yeah. teams who are just like, just put two men on him. Doesn't matter. Just put two men on him. And we're going to need a plan for when that happens. And I like the idea of McAllister and potentially even someone, another player who can progress the ball through dribbling that he can pass it to or even just do a little wall pass so he can get away. But that, like, like if we aren't doing that, then we're going to get in a lot of trouble next summer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I am generally in favour of uh, of having, you know, versatile players who possess different skills and things like that. I have no issues with that. I think um, it's, I think, Probably a lot of it stems from from the newness thing. It has scarred me a tiny bit, <laughs> and I will say as well, I I I think I'm right in saying I've been a fairly consistent supporter of newness, and I still am. It's just I can see that kind of tactical dilemma he yeah. caused this season a little bit with Klopp, and some of it just suggests to me that Liverpool have been a tiny bit surprised by something about his game. Um, I think maybe he thought he'd be a bit more comfortable than he has been on flanks and stuff, and maybe he thought he was a bit more technical when it comes to like linking the play like Bobby's done. But he's painted himself for me as a proper Highland who just puts the ball in the net for you and mm. instigates chaos and doesn't really do much else. Um, runs the channels a lot and stuff, but I don't know. I think because of that, and obviously that's the first window, that was the first window in which Edwards was not at the club, which... Could just be a coincidence, but you know, you never know. So I do think this sort of thing matters. But um if you look at Coney's numbers this this season, just one of the areas in which he shines is is his dribbling. Obviously, there's only one midfielder in the Bundesliga who completed more dribbles than him this season. And that was Jude Bellingham, yeah. who is going to Real Madrid. <laughs> um but in, he shows up well in terms of his ball winning as well, his recoveries, his tackles, his interceptions. So he is that kind of press-resistant player who can get out of tricky situations, dribble his way out of trouble, carry the ball over distances, while also putting a foot in quite a bit. Um, but for me, he is a player for the defensive third and the middle third, not the final third. I don't think he is, is inclined to get involved with that. He's not going to register goals or assists for you. So... In my opinion, you have to use him like that. If, if he finds himself in a position on the end of the box, he can shoot. Like, he scored a really good goal against Dortmund. But I don't think, he for Gladbach, that was part of his game to really do that. It was almost that at the end of his dribbles, he was always looking to pass or looking to try and draw defenders in particularly and then give, a, give it someone else. But, yeah, I don't think it's something that we will be looking for for him for particularly but I do think it goals are going to be something that we're going to need from the midfield in general if not necessarily from him Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel Yeah so next up we have Kevin Chura who is very similar in, in terms of the I suppose the package in a way in terms of like him and Conley are both 22. Um, both players have contracts expiring in two years. Both players are on a relatively low wage. Both players have good availability. 
both players play for clubs who are probably lower in the food chain when it comes to like Nice and Gladbach. Mm-hmm. And Kone is about six foot and Charam is about six foot three, which is probably the first thing you notice about him when you watch him play for the first time. He's enormous. <laughs> but what do you think of him, Mo? I like him. I like this kid. I think he was someone who I didn't initially see just from playing in the um, watching League One, but then um, Dan Austin flagged him up to me just around Christmas time, and uh, I've been watching him ever since. And yeah, I think again he's another one. You look at him playing, and you think about I, I, what uh, a year with Klopp and what that could do to him in terms of raising all of his levels, but. Again, like you say, someone who's very comfortable on the ball, someone very comfortable carrying the ball, someone who can be very threatening in and around the edge of the penalty area. So, again, if you were thinking about the box, he would be at the top of the box and he would be causing damage. I think if you look at his numbers for through balls in particular, he was uh, the highest in his team and one of the highest in league on this season. So... He's able to get to that edge and be a penetrative force, which I like. Again, he's young. Again, he's raw. raw but again, I think if you look at the qualities he can bring to the team, he can definitely improve us. Yeah, he looks he looks like an interesting player. Um, similar to Coney in the sense that like, I don't think he's a bad player by any means. I don't really have too many issues about, about his game. I think he... Is obviously a very physical presence. Another player who likes to dribble from the middle of the park. Another player who likes to carry the ball over large distances. He's got really long strides, and um, I was trying to think of a player who like who who he depicts shades of when he's when he's doing that. And the only player I could think of who was like a a really tall physical specimen, but can also carry the ball with really close control was was Yaya Torre. I couldn't really think of. Anybody else off the top of me? I do does that. Um, I mean, you. this is people are going to think I'm taking a piss when I say this, but I genuinely <laughs> have been a fan of this kid, and I think I mentioned him in that wild card show you mentioned before. Philip Billing, Philip Billing on the yeah, board. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I say, he has that height, but he also has a liveness to him and to his movement. So, the things that you aren't expecting to see from someone at his frame, he's able to do and. Again, that works. He works that brilliantly to his advantage. People make assumptions about the kind of player he is, and he's able to just spin away from them. But I'm really intrigued by so many parts of this Kevin Turan deal because rumors. Obviously, we don't normally deal with rumors here, but one of the rumors has suggested that Nice are interested in taking Fabio Carvalho on loan. So, in terms of who would suit playing our new systems more, him or Carvalho? I think it's him by a, by a distance. So not only would him coming in potentially add to ours, but it would also, as I say, solve the kind of issue around Carvalho that it looks like we've got in terms of where is his position, where does he fit? So yeah, I'm 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 waiting to see what happens in terms of this deal. I do think that of the guys who we of the three we mentioned. He's the most likely to have other play, other teams try to get him, uh, make serious bids for him. So it might be the more difficult of the three to sign from where I'm sitting at the moment. But yeah, the fact that we're interested, the fact that we aren't just trying to buy one 
physically imposing player is another good sign for me because, I mean, let's face it, what happens if you get injured? He gets back to square one. <laughs> You're scarred by these injuries. More I mean, we have to keep thinking about these things, Josh. Like, they will continue to happen. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at Shuram in terms of the, the kind of player that he is, the, the profile that you see, um, I'd say he's a bit more of an all-rounder than Kone is in terms of <laughs> all phases of the game and all thirds of the game, all thirds of the pitch. Uh, I'd say he leans a bit less towards the defensive side of the game. I think he's a bit more at home in the final third of the pitch. Um, probably a bit more attack-minded and technical, maybe in terms of like close control and um, and that sort of thing. Again, if I'm totally honest, I think he is more of a fit in the original four-three-three than the box. I think if it was in the box, I probably agree with you, Mo, in the sense that I can see him possibly as this number eight slash ten role. But even that does feel, mm, it doesn't feel like a perfect fit. It doesn't feel like a, like a McAllister or, or a Mount or a, even a Jones. It feels like he's not a perfect fit there, but enough of a fit for that to mm. work. Um, but it's it, again, it comes back to that, that kind of interesting thing, really, where similar to Kone, he is, he's got loads of potential. He's probably going to higher ceiling than Kone, potentially, and... Um, Lots of qualities attached to his games, stuff like that. But my thing again is just like, where, what's the plan for him? Where's the fit and stuff? And I think uh, for me, he suits the left side of the pitch again, which is interesting. You can't get anyone for the right lately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, do, do you have any thoughts on that? What, what are your thoughts on his fit? Tactically? Well, the fact that he favours the left side is probably the only thing that may potentially be an issue. But then, if you look. At his actual, if you look at the key passes and assists and the, the through balls I mentioned previously, a lot of them are actually occurring in the central positions. So he's able to kind of start from the left, but then he's able to find drift inside, find the space, and then produce a killer pass from straight ahead. So I think the interesting thing, he's actually better in the air than Kone. Uh, that's one thing about Manu Kone that I find quite strange is that his aerial duels is quite low for someone who of his size and stature. But with Turam, it looks a little bit more like you expect of a guy like him. I mean, I do think, genuinely, that, again, if you put him at the top of the box, then it could definitely work. One thing I do think about this as well, we're talking about a lot of options for one side. Like I said in the last show, and I'm just going to be saying it until I see evidence otherwise, I think we'll start to see Diego Jota with him being one of those positions and he's someone who could operate on the right hand side of it so i think he's going to come into play as an option in that world as well as being an option for one of the front three positions so in terms of how the squad makeup looks i do think we'll have plenty of options in that right box if it turns out to be that way even if some of them may be naturally more suited to the left hand side with Turan. I think he's another player who, like you say, he's, his ceiling appears to be quite high. And he's at the stage now where 
if we were to buy him for the reported fee of around fifty million pounds, maybe take a six or seven off that if they like the deal with the Carvalho uh, at twenty-two, and maybe say three seasons in twenty-five, three seasons into a five-year deal, it's not really working out for him. We're going to be able to recoup at least fifty percent of that. So I think when you're looking at it in terms of potential risk. I, I think that we're able to be covered. I, I think that these are things that the club are thinking about, particularly in the, in the face of what you said about Nunes. That was a big swing. And I don't think this summer is going to be one for big swings, which is part of the reason why I think that we shied away from Mason Mount. That would have ended up being a bigger swing than we wanted it to be, simply because of his wages, I think, personally. Well, this kind of brings me on to... I suppose my next kind of question, and that that is both. You know, if Liverpool were to sign both, how would you feel? Because again, if you if you check Twitter, that's what everyone wants. I suppose everyone wants Liverpool to get both in. Um, the both could play. I think they could play together. Um, I don't have too many concerns about that. I suppose my concern with it would be. I think just considering Liverpool's season, what happened to us and where we are now and things like that, I would be, I think I'd be a tiny bit underwhelmed in terms of like the, the status of these players that we're getting into fix our overwhelming problem. The fact that we've just saved money on McAllister. Yeah. There was initial talk about Bellingham, you know, like wonder kid. There was yeah. talk about Mount, who for me is brilliant. And even Gravenberg. If we end up getting in Coney and Churam, I'll be like, okay, you know, I can see, I can see things, <laughs> you know, the good players and things like that. But I think getting both in would just be, they'd need a bit of time for a start. Yeah, but again, I feel like getting both in helps both because they would need time to to bed in, and they will almost give each other that time. I think in terms of the status of players. Like, like I think what I'm getting at is what I'm getting at is how far down the list do you think those two are? Oh, well, see, this is this is a very interesting thing because it's something I was going to say at the very beginning. Like, what do do we think Liverpool's plan A was Bellingham and Mount? Because I'm not 100 percent sure it was. I think Liverpool. Go on. Oh, I was just. I, I think it was. I think it's hard to envisage doing those two and another third midfielder in terms of what you're expecting to outlay, not just in terms of the transfer fee, the wages. Because this, and the wages is the thing that I was always in the back of my mind thinking about Mason Mount. I was like, we aren't going to pay him what he wants. Like, but if you look at the numbers quoted, and yes, there was maybe some kind of um, inflation in some areas of some of the numbers. But the point is, is that, he was disrespected in his eyes at Chelsea. He wasn't in the top 15 earners. And the way, I mean, the way Chelsea had done it was crazy when you think about how many other players came in on higher yeah. wages, considering how much he was playing in that time. So he's in the situation now where it's like, I've been disrespected. I need someone who's going to actually, you know, show, uh, give me wages that I think justifies the stature of the player I am. I really don't think the Liverpool were going to be able to do that. And again, with Bellingham, you look at the, the reported wages he's getting at Madrid, I think it what shakes out to something like it would have been 450 
450,000 a week if you if you adjust it for um, tax. Liverpool aren't paying that. Like, even for Duke Bellingham, Liverpool aren't paying that. Like, yeah. so I think there's an amount of that we wanted someone from the very top tree. We wanted to be able to reassert our status as, as the very best team and one of the biggest teams in the world. But that's just not what we've ever done. Like, even our biggest two signings, the ones that we always point to say that we do big deals, Allison and Van Dyke, right? Van Dyke was very much the highly sought after player, very much one of the best players in, the, in his position. But he was still playing for Southampton. And so we would still been able to give him a much better wage quite easily. Yeah. Where, like, like, get... like we, we, the, the guys who are 35 to 40 million and turn into guys who are worth 80 to 90 million. That's Liverpool. That's what we've done on the club. And that's what's been successful. So I think that those the, the, the Turam Kone deals, as much as it feels like we've been sold a ringer after all that time um, chasing Bellingham, this is really Liverpool. This is kind of what we do. So I'm not yeah. disappointed by that as long as it works. <laughs> The only thing I'd say about that is I think I think McAllister is more Liverpool for me in the sense that he's just turned 24. He's still a Brighton okay, but he's just won a World Cup and he's establishing himself as a player who's really making like the, the leap type thing. If you think of Fabinho, when Fabinho arrived, I think he was much further along the way than Churam or Kone. And I think same with Naby. Same with Cody Gapo. You know, I, I think Liverpool definitely pick up players from like clubs lower in the future and things like that. I've got no real issues with that. I'm just thinking I don't know, looking at Churam and, and Kone, I, I'm not sure they are as far along the way, basically evolution wise, as the typical player Liverpool would acquire. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. No, and that, that, that's fair. And I think also that might be a little bit of the sign of where we are in the market, particularly in the market for midfielders, because obviously you've got the blockbuster deals. We've mentioned Jude Bellingham, uh, Declan Rice is going to be another one. Uh, Moises Caicedo, when he eventually moves, is going to be one. But because there are so many big teams who are looking for a midfielder and so many midfielders, like the three I've mentioned, who are playing for small teams who 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 are going to see them as a their grand asset and are going to be trying to get the absolute maximum. So when you have a a kind of a baseline that starts all the way up here, to the players who are just on the cusp who are just by making the leap, rather than those players being 35, 40 million, those are now 65, 70 million players. And I think that I have a slight bit of sympathy in terms of why we aren't going for those guys now. Because again, it's about quantity as much as quality with this window for us. So yeah, I, I, I don't get what you mean when you say that, that you, we would normally be a little bit more sure that they're going to be um, a, sure, a sure thing than we go with those two. But I do think that this market is a bit, a bit of an odd one in terms of that. I do think... Like I say, because Kaiseido would probably be the only other one within that realm. And it's like, I have no idea how much the, the, 
whoever buys him is going to have to pay, but it's going to be at least two McAllisters, maybe three. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Liverpool are in a tricky position at the minute. You know, Liverpool are in a position whereby if we can't get number one, two, three, four on the shortlist, usually Liverpool would walk away and, and say, right, we'll come again next summer then. But we, we literally learned this season that we have used up all our time and no matter what, we need midfielders. And that is why we are now getting linked with players who seem to be not at the not 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 like the bottom of the list or anything like that, but just a bit further down the list than Liverpool would typically entertain in terms of like a Churam or a Kone. Um I mean, for example, just like a a quick question, put it on the spot to, to see if you can see kind of like where I'm coming from. If Liverpool get in McAllister, Kone, Churam, and I don't know, maybe maybe a defender or whatever. But I mean, I mean, if if that's Liverpool's midfield fix. Mm. Do Liverpool win the league next season or contend for the league next season? Contend, yes. They can. Okay. So the win probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it might, like, for them to be able to all click in a way that gives us that level of consistency, no. But what I do think we'll be able to do with that midfield, we'll be able to be back into the top three at the very least. I would like to say the top two. And I do think we'd be a team good enough to beat Manchester City and in a, in a one-off 90-minute game. And I think that is still going to be a bar that's high, too high for the majority of the Premier League teams. So, so I think it, it, into a contention with everyone. Yeah, I mean, to contend, really, especially with this Manchester City team, you, you basically need 85 to 90 points as a minimum, really. Um so, you know, if Liverpool get Coney, Churam, McAllister as the midfield fix this summer, would, would Liverpool get that many points? I suppose that's one for our listeners to now ask themselves mm-hmm. now on the spot, I suppose. Um, but what, one of the interesting things I wanted to throw in there, actually, that I, I, I saw a link with Pavard. I, I think that is very interesting. Person, reason I think it's interesting is because if we get in Pavard, that would allow Trent to become a full-time midfielder rather than an inverted fullback, And the way we're currently talking about Liverpool's midfielders and getting linked with the likes of Churam and Kone, who still kind of on the rough diamond side rather than the ready side, um, you would then just have Trent as a new kind of midfielder, um, could play as an eight in the box, could play as a six in the box comfortably. Um, and when you think of Trent as a player, I think Carragher said something similar recently in terms of like you could go and spend a hundred million in the market, you're yeah. probably unlikely to sign a better midfielder than Trent. Whereas if you sign a right back like Pavard, who isn't amazing but is an established elite right back who has won the titles and World Cups and stuff like that, still a reasonable age. I think he's like 27. So yeah. if Liverpool could get, I mean, what would you choose? Out of Incesmo, out of like Pavard or Churam or Pavard or Kone? Because hmm. it's an interesting question that I think Liverpool are considering because that would be a way of adding a new midfielder in Trent, but without signing a midfielder, you sign a right back, if you see what I mean. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, it depends upon whether you class Trent as a, a defensive midfielder or an attacking one because. Well, that's the think... I think he can do both. To yeah. A so. 
again, it just gives you more options. I do think on on that, I do think it, this season might be the deciding one, where it might be we get to the end of the season and it's worked wonderfully. And Klopp does decide, yes, you're going to be a midfielder now and we're going to buy a new right-back or a new right-sided defender, whatever that looks like. Or it could be that it's still something that only works at certain times and we only bring out at certain times, so then he will still normally remain a right-back. I think this year is going to be what decides that one way or the other, because at the end of this year is when we expect to see uh, Thiago and Henson in particular, um, if not move on, then no longer be considered part of the regular first team rotation, I think. So this season's going to be how we decide what, what he does. And it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating, man. It really is going to be fascinating because like you say, there are so many variables in terms of we don't know what it is we're trying to do. We don't know who is first choice, who is second choice, uh, and all those things. The thing that I like the most is that it looks like our intention is to be as proactive as possible so we can get these players in the building as quickly as possible and then so we really know what we've got and we can really work from there. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting summer to cover Liverpool, we actually have things to talk about this summer rather than Liverpool just buying one player and then saying that's it, we're done. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah it's going to be an ongoing theme. I think next week we'll probably get linked with new midfielders and uh, we'll have to talk about them. But it keeps things interesting, keeps things fresh. Obviously, we've got McAllister in the door now, but it remains to be seen who's going to be next. But we'll keep our ear to the ground. Mo, before we end, mate, I am going to touch on... Analyzing Anfield FPL League, which has been officially oh, concluded. <laughs> so I'm going to name the top 10. Congratulations. In fact, no, I'm going to name the top 11 and you'll find out why in a sec. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so at the top, congratulations to Odin Cyrus, who finishes top of the league by 12 points. We've got Nasser Althani in second, Bendik Balsh Koshlung in third. Christ. Uh, Arnajam Gill Scarson in fourth. Apologies if I butchered that one. Ian Quinn in fifth. It's a nice name. Mike Wa- Wa- Wally in sixth. Dennis Ernst in seventh. Elvind LJ in eighth. Joe Tang in ninth. Richard Pierce in tenth, and in eleventh is Josh Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling that that might be the case. And you had to put yourself through the pain of all those pronunciations just to say it. So yeah, yeah. yeah I feel like, I mean, if we're doing a you know a first eleven, like like you don't a lot of time with like a team of the year, then you just about sneak in. But yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go and go, mate. I'll go and go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there were, there were 775 participants in the league. So if you finished in the top 10, congratulations. Well done for that. And in terms of the Analyze Nanfield Cup, uh, the winner of that was me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take that, mate. I've won something in my home ground. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing how you found the time to bring this part in, isn't it? Now I know that you won something. <laughs> yeah. This can be like a little clip that we save. I think I think I'm going to post this myself. 
Well, um, I mean, I'm very aware of the fact that I can't say too much because I'm kind of getting back into it after two years away next season. So it's going to be, I, I, I'm going to need to kind of back up any big chat I give right now. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, mate, next year you have no choice but to enter. You're getting involved. Um, but until then, we will we will put that one on pause. I'll I'll send out the code and all that stuff at the at the start of next season to so that people can join and stuff. Obviously, we'll hopefully we'll get like closer to a thousand entrance next season. Yeah. But yeah, Mo, after a week off, mates, it's nice to be joined by it again. Yeah, I always enjoy these little chats, and like I say, we've had we've had some real fun with this one. We don't know how right or wrong we're going to be, but it's going to be exciting either way. I feel like it was a bit of a, a good cop, bad cop episode. That I feel like I was the kind, you made me look like the negative guy, didn't you? And you was coming across as super positive. Well, I mean, that's just my demeanor in general. And yeah, it's a good way to be. Yeah, but I mean, I think the thing about it as well is that we both come at it with, with reason and with arguments that are actually reasonable. And I think that's kind of what most of the people know us for. So even if we're not on the same side of an argument, we can still have a debate without it turning into anything bad. Yeah, yeah, it's reasoned debates. I don't, I don't like blind faith when we're just saying everything's going to be great because it's this season has been proved that it's not the case. Um, no. But yeah, thanks for joining us, mate. And no um, our listeners, we will be back next week. Thanks for tuning. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.